Chapter Three, Part C of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter Three, Part C. Bionomic Classification. This classification of organisms is based upon the mode of life and the consequent adaptive modification of structure, form, and color, which in some cases so obscure the fundamental characteristics of the group to which the animal belongs as to make its true classification in the zoological scale a matter of great difficulty. For in extreme cases, true relationships are betrayed only by studying the life history of the organism and cannot be learned from its adult condition, as in the parasitic barnacle Saculina. A bionomic classification, therefore, does not necessarily agree with one based on such revealed relationships, but is, historically, a more primitive classification. Animals and plants may be considered first in their interrelationship with other organisms, and secondly in their relations to the physical environment. Interrelationships with Other Organisms Free-living forms are such as are not sedentary nor in permanent association with other organisms in any of the several ways to be described below. They do, of course, depend upon other animals or upon plants for their sustenance. In the former case they are called carnivorous or predatory, in the latter herbivorous. The predatory animal, unless it be simply blood-sucking or one which, like certain insects, bird lice, feeds upon portions of the skin, usually destroys the prey while the herbivore does not necessarily injure the food plant disastrously. Free-living forms of the same species may band together for mutual aid or defense, when they are called gregarious or communal. See chapter 16. Parasitic. Parasitism will be discussed more at length in a later chapter, chapter 17, especially with regard to its degenerating influence upon the parasite. It is an ignoble association between one animal or plant and another, and while the parasite is benefited in that it obtains food and protection with the least possible effort, the effect upon the host is generally a detrimental one, and sometimes disastrous. But the parasite usually instinctively avoids fatal injury to its host, as that would be decidedly to its own disadvantage unless its days of parasitism be fulfilled. Herein it differs from the predaceous animal, whose association with the prey is transitory, but almost invariably destructive of its life. Commensal association, in contrast with parasitic, is mutually beneficial. It does not, however, imply an organic union such as prevails among symbiotic forms, but merely a more or less permanent association for mutual good. The word commensal means one who eats at the same table, but in ordinary usage has become obsolete. Nevertheless, that is what the word implies biologically, i.e., an animal which lives with or on another species, partaking of the same food. A familiar example is the association of a hermit crab and a hydroid which forms a dense furry growth over the crab's shell. The crab is a wasteful feeder and the hydroid gathers in the tiny particles of rejected food. It also gets transportation without effort and in return offers the crab a certain immunity from attack, as it is armed with stinging cells and the general appearance of the furry growth renders the crab less conspicuous. Another example is the rhinoceros bird, which picks ticks from the rhino's back and gives warning of approaching danger to its dull-witted friend. The pilot fish which accompanies the shark is still another, and the peculiar association of news, ostriches, and zebras in Africa is a further instance. In the last example, it is merely the extension of the mutual aid afforded to the other members of a herd by the sentinels, so as to embrace more than one species. 
The ostrich is so capital a watchtower that the others have taken advantage of it. Symbiotic. This is the most intimate association of all, again for mutual benefit, and by some writers it seems to be considered as merely a more intimate form of commensalism. Symbiosis means living together, and in its restricted sense implies an organic union or internal partnership between organisms, so intimate that it can only be severed by death. It cannot exist between two animals, but only between an animal and a green, chlorophyll-bearing plant, or between a green and a colorless plant. Instances of the first sort are found among the lower animals, such as the green hydra, hydra viridis, of which the color is not due to animal pigment, but to the presence of numerous minute green plants embedded in its cells. Another instance is that of the flagellate protozoan, euglena viridis, in which precisely the same conditions exist and many radiolaria contain symbiotic algae known as yellow cells or zoosanthaly. This last relationship is thus described by Thompson. They, the yellow cells, are unicellular plants embedded in the transparent living matter of the radiolarians, and a very profitable partnership has been established. Being possessed of chlorophyll, the algae can utilize the carbonic acid formed by the radiolarian and are able to build up carbon compounds such as starch. They give off oxygen, which is of course profitable for the animal, and they doubtless utilize nitrogenous waste products made by the animal. If things are not going well, it is always open to the radiolarian to digest its partners. The huge numbers of radiolarians, alike of individuals and of species, seem to indicate that the symbiosis is very profitable. Symbiotic association of green and colorless plants is found in the lichens, which have been proved to be compound plants each consisting of the branching and interlacing threads of a colorless fungus enclosing partner green alga cells. The fungus fixes the plant, absorbs air, water, and salts, protects the alga from drought and injury, and forms spores which are wafted away by wind and water, and may start new lichens if they find their proper partners. The alga uses the sunlight to build up carbon compounds, and it joins with the fungus in forming sexual reproductive bodies. By taking proper precautions, the alga can be got to live in water without the fungus, and the latter can live on sugary media or the like without the alga. Thompson. Another remarkable instance of symbiotic association of somewhat different sort is that of the various beneficial bacteria that live within the bodies of higher animals, especially in the alimentary canal, and which seem to serve a very important function in aiding in the digestion and absorption of food. There is some question whether the animal could live its normal life without the aid of these internal organisms. Should their effect be deleterious instead of beneficial, they would be classed as parasites instead of symbiotic partners. Interrelationships with the Physical Environment In discussion of the physical environment, the first consideration is the medium in which the organism lives, whether air or water, for this determines its method of breathing. The other features are its relation to the bottom or substratum, and whether or not the creature is a locomotor type, for as we shall see, both of these considerations influence very profoundly the fundamental form and often the color of the organism. The forms which do not depend upon the substratum, but are suspended in the medium wherein they live, may be either planktonic or nekton, according to their locomotor ability. Those which rest or move upon the bottom are called benthos. Plankton are the animals or plants which float in the water largely at the mercy of wave or current as they possess little or no locomotive powers other than the ability to rise or sink. They range in size from microscopic dimensions to medusae half a yard in diameter, and have in general the following characteristics. 
body more or less transparent usually hyaline or pale violet or rose tinted though some jellyfish are rather gaudily colored the hue is as a rule however one which harmonizes well with the water there is an almost total absence of opaque skeletal structures only a few retaining delicate calcareous shells inherited from their benthonic ancestors grabau in general form planktonic organisms are as a rule radially symmetrical for locomotion in one direction is what usually determines bilateral symmetry the horizontal distribution of the marine plankton is largely caused by ocean currents which tend to keep the swarms of individuals together and move them en masse such powers of locomotion as they possess enable these organisms to sink to greater depths for darkness or tranquillity during stress of weather coming to the surface at night or in time of calm during the day many of them sink to a depth of from fifty to a hundred and fifty fathoms rising to the surface only on quiet nights while marine or haloplankton is the most abundant and varied freshwater or limnoplankton also exists in nearly all lakes and rivers permanent aerial or geoplankton probably does not exist though microorganisms such as bacteria or germs seem to float about in the air almost indefinitely examples of planktonic organisms are the innumerable foraminiferal and radiolarian protozoa diatoms among plants and the swarms of medusae or jellyfish seen in summer seas many mollusks pteropods heteropods are included some of which form the staple of diet of the great whalebone whales and because of their small size are devoured in countless numbers while the minute shells of foraminifera radiolaria pteropoda and diatoms form the bulk of the oozes which cover thousands of square miles of the ocean floor nectin consists of animals with sufficient locomotive powers to stem the aquatic and aerial currents and go whithersoever they will their chief characteristics are well-developed motive organs spindle form to reduce resistance bilateral symmetry body non-transparent but with distinct coloration which may follow fixed laws the skeleton is opaque and the muscles and generally the organs of special sense are highly developed of marine invertebrates certain of the cephalopods notably the squid are good examples while among vertebrates the great majority of fishes sea turtles whales and seals among living types and the great marine reptiles the ichthyosaurs pleosaurs and mosasaurs among extinct animals represent the aquatic nectin aerial nectin is abundant in the flying forms such as insects birds pterosaurs and bats some of which notably certain insects and birds have wonderful powers of sustained flight aerial necton however differs from the aquatic in that sooner or later it must come to rest upon the bottom and become benthonic benthos benthonic forms are the bottom dwellers whether fixed to the substratum or with powers of locomotion over it the former are called sedentary the latter vagrant benthos sedentary benthonic forms as a rule exhibit radial symmetry well shown in corals and crinoids on the part of animals and in the great majority of higher plants marked exception as in the brachiopods and barnacles do occur of course this radial symmetry is only attained in its perfection where the environmental conditions are alike on all sides among sedentary animals so great a dependence is placed upon food swept within reach by means of stream tidal or wave action that the food-getting organs are apt to degenerate or never develop and often a special ciliary device takes their place as in the brachiopods crinoids pelecipod mollusks tunicates and even in the lancet amphioxus and larval lamprey cyclostome among vertebrates 
loss or non-development of musculature locomotor organs bilateral symmetry and organs of special sense are characteristic of sedentary benthos and with rare exceptions colonial organisms are restricted to this group examples of sedentary benthos would be the sponges hydroids with the exception of the remarkable siphonophora a free-swimming planktonic colony wherein division of labor among the various zooids has been carried to an extreme actinozoa sea anemones and corals molluscoidea as a whole barnacles among the crustaceae certain bivalve mollusks such as the oysters and the tunicates with plants almost all belong to this category the only exceptions being the motile bacteria and other protophyta which have been included under plankton. Nectonic plants are unknown. While aerial sedentary benthos includes the great bulk of the higher plants, air-breathing sedentary animals are rare. A number, which like the barnacles may be left bare by the retreating tide, thus become temporarily aerial but do not respire air, although provision has to be made by nature to withstand the exposure. The only true aerial sedentary benthos seem to be the scale insects, coccidae, which attach themselves permanently to some plant, twig, leaf, or fruit, and remain constantly in one place thereafter as long as the plant juices yield sufficient nourishment. Drying up of the leaf upon which they live has been known to cause a very short migration, and while extremely degenerate and scale-like, as the name implies, they never wholly lose their organs of locomotion. The group known as vagrant benthos is an extremely extensive one, including a large number of marine but fewer freshwater types, but almost all air-breathing animals. Bilateral symmetry is the rule, though some, notably the echinoderms, are radially symmetrical. This radial symmetry of the echinoderms masks a more primitive bilateral symmetry, whereas in such forms as the irregular sea urchins, a secondary bilateral symmetry is very marked. Coupled with bilateral symmetry goes the development of locomotor and the higher sense organs, and because of the intensity of the struggle for existence, the various adaptations of form, color, and food-getting devices are extremely varied. True colonies, such as the bryozoan Cristatella, occur but are very rare, though other animal associations, gregarious or communal, are much more frequent. The transition from the vagrant benthos to necton is easy, and the instance is numerous, and in some cases it is difficult to know under which category the animal should be placed, as in the case of certain marine worms and the sea otter. The term meroplankton was introduced by the German naturalist Heckel to introduce the free-swimming young of benthonic organisms which lead, during their larval state, a planktonic existence. These forms are, as a rule, extremely small and have feeble powers of locomotion, generally by means of cilia. Nevertheless, they are so numerous that the upper strata of the oceans are literally crowded with them, and they form a great source of food supply for the more aggressive forms of life. Grabau says of them, Floating about in the sea, in perfect clouds or swarms, these meroplanktonic organisms pass their short existence, a sport of the waves and currents. Sooner or later, however, they will sink to the bottom, a veritable rain of seedling organisms, and if they fall upon a fertile soil, in other words, if they reach the proper fasces of the substratum, they will develop into the benthonic adult, but if they fall upon an unfavorable bottom, or if food supply is scarce, they will perish. The necessity of some means of dispersal or for the repopulation of an area where an accident has destroyed the original inhabitants is imperative, and in the case of sedentary adults can only be attained by this means. Meroplanktonic larvae are found in every group of aquatic sedentary benthonic animals. The young of the sedentary scale insects, on the other hand, which are active for a brief time, 
are vagrant benthos. Spores and many seeds like those of the maple and dandelion constitute about all that can possibly be included in aerial meroplankton. Pseudoplankton is a term proposed for organisms such as the sargassum or gulf seaweed, which is normally or in early life an attached benthonic organism, but which becomes planktonic. The meaning of the term has been extended to include plants or animals living as sedentary or vagrant benthos upon floating objects such as the algae, hydroids, or bryozoans, which may be attached to the floating sargassum, and the crustaceae, mollusks, or other animals which dwell among them. In many instances the pseudoplanktonic existence of these forms is due to accident, but on the other hand it seems to be habitual with certain forms, which, like the goose barnacle, lepus, rarely occur except attached to floating objects such as the timber or the bottom of ships, especially when the latter are derelict. Many of the animals found on floating sargassum seem to be characteristic of it in this condition, as they do not occur when it is attached. End of chapter 3 Recording by Jesse Noir